Warning, this episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics podcast will contain explicit language. Not that I don't think anyone that chooses to listen to a podcast episode titled Erotic City hasn't heard the F word before. Nevertheless, I don't fuck, or is it funk, around on this show. <laughs> so here we go. Joining me on this particularly salty episode is Farouk Ansari. Welcome back to the show, Farouk. Hey, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks, all things considered. So, um, <laughs> welcome back again, and here we are, the Purple Rain era. We've got a, an amazing B-side, kind of like 17 Days Before it, Erotic City also has a subtitle attached to it. Um, it's also called Make Love Not War, Erotic City Come Alive. Uh, I, I kind of actually really like that subtitle, I don't know how you feel about it. <laughs> I, no, I think it's really cool. And, you know, the weird thing about Erotic City is in the UK, it was released as a 12-inch promo in 1985, just as a standalone track. Yeah, I did in some research, I discovered that um, the same thing was done in Germany. Like, in 1989, it was released in Germany as a standalone single, which six years later, they released it as a single <laughs> in 1989. But, um, yeah, anyway, Erotic City is best known as originally the b-side for that the number one hit let's go crazy from purple rain that's where a large percentage of the population first heard it as the b-side to let's go crazy so then you got that then you've got the standalone releases as you mentioned in the uk and then i mentioned in germany in the 80s of course it showed up on the hits and b-sides collection from 1993 it showed up on the girl six soundtrack in 1996 so I mean, there's a, been a lot of opportunities for people to catch wind of Erotic City and kind of find it for themselves. There's also a really cool extended remix, 12-inch version of this song. So there's there's different versions of the song, different release patterns, different eras. Bottom line is that Erotic City is one of Prince's most well-known B-sides, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I first came across it when... Um... There's a really famous legendary club in Manchester called the Hacienda, which which shut down in the early 90s, but was absolutely legendary in terms of bringing Chicago house and dance music to Manchester and creating the Manchester dance scene, basically. But I remember being there one, one evening in 87 or 88. I'm showing my age now, right? Um, and um, they they put on Erotic City, the 12-inch extended version, and all these guys, none of whom were probably Prince fans, yeah, they're just into Chicago House or or British indie or somewhere in the middle, and the whole dance floor went absolutely crazy because the the groove just was driving everyone, yeah, and yeah. I mean I'd I'd heard it before, but it was the first time I properly felt it. Oh yeah, that's a, that's one place where you can feel it. I mean, that bass, you know, the bass line yeah. in, in this song is something that you, it's like very visceral, you can feel it. Yeah. So that was your, that was kind of like your history with the song, or maybe like the first time you really kind of, like you said, heard it, or really kind of paid attention to it? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I'd, I'd, I'd come across it as a B-side, and then... You know, as a kid, I was a bit of a Prince geek, so I used to buy limited edition 12 inches and stuff like that. And there was a standalone 12 inch. But the first time I think it really resonated with me on that level 
was when I heard it in a club and it just like drove like I said, not not even Prince fans. These people probably half of them had never heard a Prince track in their their life. But it, it just kind of it moved through the crowd and it drove them crazy. And then after that they were back to another the Todd Terry track or something, you know. But mm. but there was just this moment of of kind of Minneapolis sound that just resonated through the speakers and that was uh, you know it, it's one of those moments in life where, where you just keep harking back to it oh yeah and i have a very similar story well really not that similar actually <laughs> if i think about it similar story from the standpoint of <laughs> i remember where i was when i first heard erotic city uh, i wasn't in a club i was um i was still a kid i was nine years old at the time it would have been probably late 84 and I had recently moved to a new town and I was making friends in the neighborhood and I had a one friend who was a year or two younger than me who lived down the street. So he was maybe three or four houses down from where I lived. And uh, I had it kind of uh, mentioned in a previous episode, like my family, we stopped buying 45s around, around 84 when uh, my older sister had gotten uh, a boombox for Christmas. So we were able to now record songs off the radio using blank tapes. So the purchase of uh, 45 vinyl records was was a thing of the past as soon as we've got that technology to available to us. So that's what we were doing. We we're buying tapes now. And so, of course, when you were just recording songs off the radio, you're not going to catch wind of B-sides unless they're being played on the radio. And I have heard stories from other people who say Erotic City was being played on the radio in certain markets on certain stations but it was not being played on the radio on my uh, very conservative top 40 radio station <laughs> in rural wisconsin so no they were not playing erotic city so <laughs> i was not going to hear it that way uh so how i heard it was my friend down the street had a, a little record player still that was his and so he had asked for lip Let's Go Crazy as a 45 single for Christmas, I think, or maybe a birthday, something like that. And so he had it, and he had me come over. It was me and another friend. We went over to his house, and he's like, guys, I got to play this song for you. Uh, and we're like, oh, Let's Go Crazy. Yeah, I already know that song. You know, I've got Purple Rain already. He's like, <laughs> no, on the other side, there's this song called Erotic City. And so he played it for us in his basement, in his in his bedroom. And I just remember thinking to myself, Okay, that's that's not. They're not saying the F word. I mean, I was convinced. <laughs> I was a hundred percent convinced that it was my my ears were playing tricks on me. That they had to be saying funk or something like that, and it was just a a figment of our adolescent imagination that that they were actually saying fuck or the F word because I just couldn't believe right. it. I couldn't believe it. I had never. I just didn't think that that was possible. I didn't think that they could get away with that. So I'm like, there's no way they would do that on a on a big pop single like Let's Go Crazy to put a song on the flip side that uses the F word in the chorus multiple times. I just couldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah. Tipper Gore would be horrified. <laughs> I know, right? It's not Darling Nikki. <laughs> Uh, if, if her daughter would have had Let's Go Crazy 45 and she had heard Erotic City, would have probably the same outcome, but it would have been maybe a different yeah. outrage. I don't know. If you're into um, Darling Nikki, that'd be perfect, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. 
So that was just kind of like my mind being blown that that anybody would be so uh, so bold to to do that on a pop song. Yeah, put the F word in a pop song and put it on the flip side to a number one single. Like Let's Go Crazy was huge. There was a lot That's of people it. that yeah, bought. That, absolutely. I mean, Let's Go Crazy certainly in the UK. When you talk about Prince breaking through and becoming a mainstream artist, Let's Go Crazy was one of the instrumental singles that made that happen. And to put something like that on the B side always reminds you that Prince was never, you know, even when he was at his most commercial, he was never a commercial artist. He was not Michael Jackson or Lionel Richie or Stevie Wonder. He he just dictated his own terms. Yeah, and there was always controversy somewhere if you wanted to find it. You could have a, a, an A-side that was so radio-friendly, like, like Let's Go Crazy, or when, you know, in a weird way. Not, not even When Does Crack, because that actually wasn't radio-friendly. No, it's that shouldn't have been a hit. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he's impossible to define, and, and that's why we love him, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think it was a really shrewd and brilliant move for him to put two songs on the a and b side of that single that are uh completely opposite of each other in terms of in terms of sound in terms of like their influences i mean prince was clearly influenced by uh parliament funkadelic george clinton i mean he he admitted as much for this song he he did and and, weirdly um i'm sure you know this jason but you know that um george clinton covered it Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. But yeah, Prince was quoted, I think, is when he was uh, introducing or inducting uh, Parliament Funkadelic into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that he right. admitted that he wrote Erotic City shortly after um, attending a concert, a P-Funk concert in like 83 or something. So, I mean, the, the, the sound, it's very it's very obvious if you're, if you're aware of P-Funk. Uh, and then you listen to them, and then you hear Prince say that you can make the connection pretty easily. It's like, okay, duh, of course, yes. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on in this song that harken back to the kind of music that they were making in the '70s and early '80s. Um, I mean, for me, like some of the more memorable aspects of the song itself, besides the lyrical content, you've got the um, the manipulated voices. You know, Prince's voice is, right. is slow and fast and low and high, and they're double, triple tracked, you know, to make it sound like there's this whole chorus but, of yeah. Prince's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's like um, it's like he's testing out Camille. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It kind of is, kind of like a very early test run for that for that character. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I've always thought that this track would work on the Black Album. Mm, yes absolutely would the black album is it's all filled with this kind of odd funk you know that that really just kind of seems yeah. grimy and dirty and a little bit tawdry at times and the whole album is filled with that which is why prince shelved it because he wasn't he wasn't in that mood anymore but and one thing we haven't mentioned of course yet is the um the additional vocals from sheila e so this is sheila e absolutely yeah. She's yeah. all over the song. Yeah, yeah, but but this goes back to that controversy about whether the people are saying funk or fuck, because yeah. Shirley claims that 
it's funk, right? Uh huh. Yeah, she says that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently. Um, yeah. But yeah, 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 no, you're absolutely right. This is um, Sheila E is all over this track, and um, it, it's strange because one of my favourite Prince stroke Sheila E tracks is "A Love Bizarre," which yes. is. Which is kind of this amazing kind of jazz funk type thing, and this is completely different. This is totally different to anything that I think those guys did together afterwards. Either it's this, it's this kind of electro funk with controversial lyrics. Um, it's nothing like Romance sixteen hundred or anything that she did afterwards, right? No, it really isn't. It really isn't glamorous life. That whole album is like exactly. filled, filled with songs that were probably meant for like a Vanity Six or an Apollonia Six album, and then he just gave them to Sheila. Because... Yeah, yeah, or, or, or even um, even Jill Jones. Yeah, true, true. I mean, they just they weren't really tailored. La- I mean, later that feels like they maybe were a little bit more with Romance Sixteen Hundred, but no, they never did a collaboration that sounded like this ever again, no. to my knowledge. And uh, I think, and, and for me, listening to this back back when it came out, you know, she's not credited. Like, you buy the record and it doesn't say Prince featuring Sheila E, Erotic City. It's Prince and the Revolution. So it, it, it's a little... No one else from the Revolution was involved. Yeah, I don't think from all my recollection or readings and, and research on this, no, they had nothing to do with this song. Right. Um, but, you know, everything was credited to Prince and the Revolution during that era, so it didn't really matter who was involved in it. That's the credits. But it was misleading because Prince and the Revolution doing Erotic City doesn't say anything about Sheila E. And, of course, if you're just listening, you know, you don't have the internet available to you, so you're just listening to the song, you hear a female voice, you just assume, maybe, like I did, that the co-vocals are either Wendy or Lisa or combination of the two. Right. That's that's what I did. Yeah, that was exactly my assumption as well. I thought it was Wendy and Lisa. Yeah, I mean, because you know he does he doesn't give Sheila credit on the on on the record, so there's really no. There's that something that you have to learn later, either through word of mouth or eventually, like when something like the hits and the B sides comes out. And it gives mm. a little more detail in, in the, the liner notes about who took who took part in the song, who participated in it. But, I mean, it's common knowledge now, but it was, I don't think it was common knowledge in the, in the 80s when it was out, unless you were a little more savvy and figuring things out like that. But I was nine and I was not savvy and I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think likewise, I was too young to actually understand. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, I'd heard the song, but like you say, getting into the chronology of it and who was involved in terms of the composition, that was something that came to me much, much later. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, yeah, you've got the, the different voices in it, um, you know, the, the manipulated voices throughout. You've got Sheila's vocals. You've got, you know, that bass that we've already mentioned, that heavy bass line, and that memorable keyboard riff, even though it's super... It's quite simple. It's a very simple keyboard riff that's it throughout the song, but you just know it is kind of like holds there for a while. And I don't know, I get like a, a, a very grimy, gritty kind of uh, dun- sex dungeon type vibe with, <laughs> with the song. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that there is there's something quite seedy about it, isn't it? Yeah. In that 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 kind of um, if you take the P funk of Parliament and Funkadelic and apply Prince's own kind of dirty mind period to it, mm-hmm. okay. Um, but at the same time, there's also this kind of what I really love about it is there's this sense of minimalism in terms of the electronics. There's there's almost um, a craft work feel for 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 the um, backing track. You know, yeah. it's so simple, but but so resoundingly effective. The whole album, Purple Rain album, is very musically complex for the most part. So this song just. I mean, I get why it was a B-side. It really would not, I don't feel like it would have fit on the album proper. Um, the, like you said, the Black album, absolutely. I, I, I totally but, agree with you. Like I said, I think the best fit would be the Black album. Or maybe 1999. Oh, potentially, yeah. That's good, because that's got that old kind of electronic feel to it, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It would have. I think it would have fit there too, but yeah, the Black album would have yep. been the next logical choice. Not Purple Rain. But I think it was a really brilliant idea of Prince to do these two songs back to back because it does give listeners, buyers, fans uh, a, a nice look at two different sides of what Prince can do. I can do an arena rock anthem with huge guitars, you know, like a really rocking chorus and, you know, have just like this bigger than big song. And then on the flip side, I can do something completely different, appeal to a completely different audience potentially. Like people who might not even like Let's Go Crazy, they they dig more of, you know, the really heavy funk of Prince to flip it over that's to Erotic City. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, the it's, jam. It's, polar opposite. it's a polar opposite to Let's Go Crazy, which is like this radio friendly rock, rock song. Right, and then the B side is this P funk tribute, which is the complete antithesis of of the A side. Yeah, which kind of sums up Prince, actually. I think uh, just my one last comment about my my history with this song is that at the end of the day, my friend's mom found his his forty (laughs) five. I don't know if he played it too loudly (laughs) and she heard it, or I, I don't know how she caught wind of of erotic city being the flip side and how of what the lyrical content contained but she confiscated it so i think i heard it once or twice we made have played it back to back that day and then i hadn't heard it again for many years after she did what any probably good mom would have done to a, a seven or eight year old kid and took that album away from him <laughs> i love the way that she confiscated it that's so cool yeah, yeah. It was disappointing at the time because I that was my only access. Yeah, I'm to sure. <laughs> kind of like this uh, plucked guitar string and then you get to the the drum track and the synthesizer you get to some some lyrics and the first verse and the first line of the first verse is all of my purple life I've been looking for a dame 
That would want to be my wife. That was my intention, Maine. So, like, right off the bat, all of my purple life. I, I mean, that's, that's just a brilliant opening line. I, I just love that opening line. What, what do you feel about it? I know, it? It's so strong. And and actually, it gets stronger with with the passing of time as well, because, you know, obviously, the initial reference point is Purple Rain. But then with the release of, um, you know, the deluxe editions, etc., you realize... And, and actually, if, you know, if, if you're one of those people who um, listen to bootlegs, you, you realize that purple is this concept, um, whether it's purple music or purple rain, etc. It refers to so many different types of music, but but actually it's like absolutely central to what, what he thinks about music. And All of My Purple Life is just one of the strongest opening statements that I think Prince can make in this song. He's really kind of saying, I think, like, the life that he's living is is tied to this color, but this color can mean so many different things depending on the context. I think he's like, um, it's almost like his manifesto. Um, he's setting out his, his world vision, and that is his purple life, okay? And this is central to it. So it's it's like if you're a Prince fan, you are immediately hooked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 the adjective that really just kind of defines Prince during this time frame. Even if even if that definition is is a bit fuzzy at times, like we're not sure exactly what he means. Oh yeah. <laughs> but but we all know when somebody talks about purple this, purple that, you you know that's Prince. I mean, it's it's tied to him. It is. Um, it's. It's woven into his his persona around this time period, and that, like you said, kind of a manifesto. Right. Even if we're not always sure what that manifesto always means, because it could mean, you know, uh, dance, music, sex, romance is a perfect <laughs> kind of manifesto for a purple life <laughs> around that time for Prince, for sure. I would think, and then throw in some spirituality in there, and you've got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it could be lab at the other end of the scale. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, you know, to something really spiritual, but but it, and everything in between. And so in this first verse, he's also mentioning that he's looking for a dame, which of course you know is another word for a woman or just female, female companion <laughs> that would want to be my wife. So he's right off the bat, like look, not he's making it sound like he's looking for like a true companion in life, not just a hookup or a fleeting sexual adventure. He's looking for somebody to share his purple life with, you know, somebody to be his wife. That's his intention. That's what he said. That was my intention, Maine. Which instead of, you know, flipping those words around, instead of saying main intention, intention, Maine, just to get it to rhyme with Dame. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, he's, he's done that a few times uh, where he would like flip words around to fit a rhyme pattern or what, what other additional insights or, you know, comments did you want to make about how these lines are laid out? Yeah, it's a funny one doing this podcast, Jason, because I don't I don't think the lyrics are actually that important to this track. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there is this bold statement. This is like all of my purple life and and it's part of this big manifesto. And this is Prince, who is going to be the world's biggest rock star in the next year or two. OK, and this is one element of his agenda. 
and he's not like Michael Jackson or Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, he's not going for that commercial jugular. He's he's doing so many different things right now. Yeah, he's about to release Purple Rain. He's he's doing those Time albums. He's doing all the other side projects, and and he's just doing it his way. And this is one little component of that all-out assault on the music industry. I think, you know, and saying all of my purple life as an opening statement is just this visionary bold statement. Uh, but it's part of everything else that he's doing at the time. I think. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I'm I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because you're not wrong. The lyrics to Erotic City are really kind of secondary. They're they're besides the point, <laughs> with maybe the exception of the chorus. Because yeah. the chorus <laughs> gives us an opportunity to kind of really just uh, hammer home the point of the song and also to give people kind of like that shock value a little bit. There's a little bit of shock going on in the song and also to, to, to make it as sleazy as possible, which is funky and as sleazy as possible. Well, how do you do that? You throw in a chorus that goes like this. If we cannot make babies, maybe we can make some time. That's Sheila E saying that. Fuck so pretty, mm -hmm. you and me, erotic city come alive. We can fuck until the dawn, making love till Cherry's gone. That's also Sheila E's line. Erotic city, can't you see? Fuck so pretty, you and me. So whether you not you believe fuck or funk, uh, it's mentioned. <laughs> if it's if it's fuck, there's three times that this said in the chorus. Yeah, you know, and and despite what Sheila E says, I think we all know what the F word is here. Right. It was always to me. It was really clear what that word was, it, and it wasn't funk. All right. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I like I said in my in the when I was talking about my story or going back to the story of me hearing this, that was just me yeah. not wanting to believe or just being basically incredulous to the fact that anybody, a pop artist, would say the F word on a song. I just didn't understand or believe that that could happen. I obviously had not heard the entire album of 1999 prior to listening to Erotic City, or else I would have already believed that that was possible. Okay, so, um, but you know, I was still pretty naive to all of this, and this was really before, like, you know, I mean, hip hop was around, but it was still in its infancy stages, and there wasn't like the the gangster rap and some of the more explicit language coming out of of hip-hop like two live crew or nwa or yeah. some of the other artists that were really kind of putting it out there ice t this kind of prefigured gangster rap because two live crew and nwa and the whole gangster rap thing actually was a few years after this right yes yes and then they would start you know they would have their they would have their songs that were talking about you know using the f word and in, in the way of like as a to emphasize a point like as a curse word yeah but then they would use the f word also in its sexual connotations as well there was inevitably there'd always be at least one sex song that would just get as as nasty and as dirty and as um explicit as they possibly could like always pushing the envelope absolutely you know the follow-up to straight out of compton it almost felt like they were trying to squeeze in as many as much profane language as possible just to make a point um and that point wasn't entirely defined yeah you're right it was and and this is a this is a good point about this song kind of being a precursor to it because you have to assume oh uh, well i'm certain i'm fairly certain that a lot of these artists you know had heard 
Prince and were fans of Prince. I mean, he was inescapable in the early 80s. Anybody who likes P-Funk, anybody who likes George Clinton, anybody who likes James Brown, Sly Stone, Stevie Wonder, grew up with that kind of music. How can you not like Prince, right? I mean, it's like they all go hand in hand. So it's like, hey, if Prince can do it, shit, I can do it too. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that chorus, that chorus is is what makes this song, besides of course the music, that memorable. I agree. I I I mean, it's it's one of those tracks that it's not like, um, you know, it's not something profound that's setting out a Prince agenda, like Paisley Park, for example, right? Right. It's it's driven by a riff and a beat. And it's more about the kind of visceral funkiness of it. You know, in the same way that Sexy MF, for example, is just a groove, right? Mm-hmm. And it just works. Um, but but this, is, this is interesting to me because it comes at that time where he is so musically literate and experimental. And it's bringing together that P-Funk with that kind of cold... I know Bobby Z is not involved in this, but that drum beat, that cold 808 kind of feel is is just really apparent throughout the whole track. They're, they're, this is an artist, probably, you know, it's that kind of peak moment before they really make it big. And that they have so much confidence that they're creating sounds using drum machines like using lins and roller data weights etc um using backing vocalists like Sheila e in this case and and just creating something that is inspired by the past but actually feels completely new that is completely iconoclastic and that's a great thing about this it's not it's not about the lyrics or how many times it says fuck right it's it, it is this synth funk track that is inspired by everyone from George Clinton to to um, Kraftwerk and everyone in between. And it is creating a type of music that no one has heard before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's really what it's all about. And I did want to ask you though, Farouk, the imagery in this chorus I find kind of interesting. Uh, even though we kind of agree that the lyrics are secondary to take a backseat to overall what the song's about and what it's intention is but there's some imagery in the chorus here that I do find interesting so like especially in Sheila's lines if we cannot make babies maybe we can make some time so the whole <laughs> euphemism for having sex is making babies but that that is I'm sorry but that is not what people say when you're gonna have casual sex do you want to make a baby that's not a casual sex phrase I just found that interesting I mean as far as the, the imagery there with the making babies and making love till cherry's gone what um, jason that's a really interesting point i think from a lyrical perspective you know that whole idea of making some time is i for me and i I, i've always thought this kind of connects back to something like 1999 which is where you're just having fun in the face of the apocalypse right Mm -hmm. You're you're just making time and it's great and it's fun and everyone's enjoying it but at the end of the day there is this kind of overarching sense of I don't know, maybe disaster over it, okay? So, yeah, who needs babies? We're just going to have some fun because underneath that, there is a darker reality kind of impe- falling upon us at some point. That's how I read it. Yeah, yeah, it's the same as, same as me. It's like she's saying, like, if we're not going to do this in a committed relationship where we're going to procreate, 
you know, the intention of us getting together is not for procreation. We're just going to make some time. And I just found that interesting to kind of like throw that in there and and make that point in the song. Like this is about that. But like, wow, I, I already kind of knew that. I assumed that already, but the chorus makes it very clear. And then making love till Cherry's gone. I mean, that is just the colloquial term for losing one's virginity, or, you know, losing their cherry or getting their cherry busted or whatever you want to say there. And then yep. to say that it's going to be until it's gone, it's like, well, okay, it really only takes one. The way, the way I understand the terminology, it only takes one time for it to be gone. Um, so it's almost like it's it's kind of a weird way of saying losing one's virginity, making love till cherry's gone. Well, yeah, yeah, it's very unsubtle, isn't it? Yeah, not not subtle at all. But this, there's nothing about this. There's nothing about this chorus that's subtle. You know what? Uh, I find the chorus interesting sonically rather than lyrically, like like I've kind of alluded to before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think it just it kind of flows really well, and there is this kind of there's a slight discord between the the aggressive lyrics. And actually, the smoothness and the, the 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 actual kind of soulfulness of the chorus as well, you know, because it, it it just flows really nicely. But actually, the lyrics and the subject matter are actually a lot harsher than it sounds musically. And I think Prince is one of the few artists who can actually do that. Yeah, it, it flows very smoothly. And I'll tell you what, though, I've always thought this chorus had a bunch of awkward phrases in it. I mm. think it's awkward as hell. If we cannot make babies, maybe we can make some time. Okay, that's a little awkward. Fuck so pretty. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of an awkward phrase. Fuck so pretty. I mean, I don't I don't even know what that really means, to be honest with you, because I when I when I think of fucking having sex, I don't think pretty. No, I I, I kind of agree with you, and it's it's a funny thing about Prince lyrics is that. You know, sometimes he can be beautifully poetic and other times it feels like he's just kind of, if not kind of dialing it in, he's just making it fit. And I think like, especially Fuck So Pretty, it just, it just kind of fits, it scans well. But actually in terms of the, the meaningfulness and the, 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 the lyrical content, it's not, it's, it's, it's kind of there to do a job. But then I think all the lyrics on this track are, are almost there to do a job, you know, Jason? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. I I will I will um I will acquiesce now and move on. Uh, but I did I did I did need to talk about the chorus because everybody knows the chorus to the song. That that knows this song. They know this chorus. They know the lines. They know the fuck versus funk debate. They're aware of like you know erotic city come alive. You know, and I really like I like that imagery. You know, in the chorus, erotic city come alive. I like. Yeah. I think that's cool, um, but I've always found the, the course to be a little awkward. It has nothing to do with it, it the, does. The... It does grate a little bit, doesn't it? Especially when you understand what the lyrics actually are. Yeah. And uh, the other thing about the course is that they it gets repeated quite a bit towards the end of the song, almost to uh, I don't want to yeah. say a negative <laughs> effect, but at some point I just, especially when I'm like listening to this, <laughs> I'm listening to this song in front of. Um, Oh, I don't know, my children, for example. Uh, I just want them to quit saying the chorus. Because yes. underpinning that is this, this, this kind of really beautiful cold electronic groove. I love it. 
I mean, that's mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's what makes the song so so awesome. Uh, is the music for sure? All right, I think we need to move on, or else we'll talk about this course. Okay, forever. let's do this. Every time I comb my hair, thoughts of you get in my eyes. You're a sinner, I don't care. I just want you creamy thighs. Every time I comb my hair, thoughts of you get in my eyes. You're a sinner. I don't care. I just want your creamy thighs. So for me, that is one of the best Prince verses ever. It, it, it just works so well, and it, it defines him. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of raunchy. It's controversial, but it just works. Uh, normally, you kind of with with a lot of Prince songs, I think, you know, the second verse is where it comes alive um and this is a really good example of that i i, I just think everything about it is correct it just work oh yeah the whole uh, every time i comb my hair thoughts of you get in my eyes i love that too that's that's a great it's, uh, it's kind of poetic public. and it alludes to other stuff like she's always my hair etc exactly. etc et et yeah, yeah. And, and then that, that whole thing about creamy thighs is just like rude isn't it it's just dirty and that that just drives that whole erotic aspect of the song along. Yeah, for for a song that we're kind of agreeing that isn't about the lyrics, this second verse, you could just say, every time I comb my hair, thoughts of you get in my eyes, you're a sinner, I don't care, I just want your creamy thighs. Just put, like, put that, take those lyrics and put them on a blank piece of paper and give somebody who doesn't know much about Prince music, but they know what he's kind of about and say, okay, who's saying this? Prince, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, uh, throw in <laughs> a few other artists. And Bruce pick Springsteen. You, pick, yeah, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Boy George. Pick who you think wrote and sang. The, if they don't 100% pick Prince, then they, they don't know what the hell they're talking about because this is, the, this is the definition for me of like Prince's lyrics from the 80s, like a little bit of poetry, a little bit of sex, and you know, just combined together and just like the the very blunt nature of I just want your creamy thighs. I mean, you couldn't be more upfront about what that line's yeah, intention it's not, it's is. It's not subtle, is it? But at the same time, it's quite poetic in a weird way. It's uh it's almost I get almost like this uh reference to like the Garden of Eden in this song. Like, there's this Garden of Eden situation mm. going on when he talks about sin. Like, you're a sinner, I don't care. Yeah, that's a classic Prince trope, though, isn't it? There's always that troubling religious concern in the back of his head whilst he's talking about something that is really carnal. Mm-hmm. So the idea of original sin is something that goes through so many of his songs. And, and actually the idea of, you know, the allusions to Adam and Eve and biblical things is is, is just uh, something that runs through pretty much everything, okay? Not just the Rainbow Children, but, but every other album he's done. Yeah, it's it's all over the place when you're looking, especially when you look for it. It's all over the place. Right. And yeah, I just I just get a lot of that with this song. Like Erotic City is almost like a stand-in for the Garden of Eden. And the fact that he's calling her a sinner. He says, You're a sinner, I don't care. 
and you know with the the uh the story of adam and eve of course it's eve is the one that commits the sin that gets them banished from from the garden so it's almost like he sees yep. that like he has the foresight to see like she is going to she's going to be the reason why we get kicked out because she is just too bad you know and i and i mean bad meaning like you know badass like she's a really sexual erotic woman that he just he knows he's not going to be able to withstand her her temptations i guess indeed let alone control but but he at, at the end of the day he doesn't care right no he says i don't care i just want your creamy thighs so he's all obviously obsessed already he's, with... he's on... <laughs> and then they go into the course again after verse two uh, we both agree verse two is pretty pretty amazing uh the, yeah. the course is the same so i'm not going to repeat that and then we get to verse three there's a little bit of a break after that second chorus then we get to the third verse all of my hang-ups are gone how i wish you felt the same we could fuck until the dawn until the dawn that's Sheely again <laughs> how i wish you were my dame Okay, so this one, this verse is a little different than I think from as far as like the tone. It's, I, I don't know. I'll let you start with this one, Farouk. What, what are you getting out of this verse? Um, I, I think it's less profound than the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but it's, it's kind of repeating a theme. Um, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a bad verse. I think. Lyrically, it is consistent with this, with the kind of narrative that he's built up, yeah. And obviously, it's explicit and 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 actually completely unambiguous. You, we know what he's saying there in terms of that whole funk versus fuck debate, right? Yeah. Uh, and and it is it's just an emphatic statement. It it brings together what he if the first verse was an intro to kind of his world and his manifesto the second verse defined that the third verse brings those two together and it kind of works it's quite neat it's not it's not a masterpiece i don't think <laughs> lyrically okay but it, it, it works and it scans well and it fits with the beat okay i agree with that uh the other things that i get out of this verse that i find interesting is he's speaking about this woman in the past tense or like maybe, maybe not past tense, maybe past tense or maybe just like it's wishful thinking. So how I wish you felt the same, not feel the same, felt the same. We could fuck until the dawn. How I wish you were my dame. So it's either he's at odds with this woman that he's talking to or about. They're not really hooking up after all. Like he, it's all wish fulfillment. Like the song's all about his... Yeah. Some sort of uh, fantasy or sex dream that he's having about this woman. Like it's, I almost get like a fantasy vibe out of the song now. Like he wants to live in this erotic city, this fictional erotic city where, you know, he's like this uh, stud that can take away this this extremely sexual, attractive woman, um, get her to lose her virginity to him, um, and then they fuck until the dawn. I mean, that is like this fantasy that <laughs> it feels like he's presenting to us here 
if you uh, also look at it from that angle, like it's just a it's just a dream. It's a it's a fantasy land that he's living in. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point. the The other way I I've kind of read it in the past, Jason, is that okay, he's gone through this whole thing and it hasn't really worked out, and he's kind of revisiting it and wishing he'd done it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be. It could be. It could be like a little bit of regret. You apparently have these hangups that you can't let go, and so you won't let right. me take you there, take you to Erotic City. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, I think it's it's one of the things that I think a lot of people who sometimes criticize Prince and this kind of overt sexuality that he uses don't actually realize that a lot of pretty much everything he does is so tongue in cheek, right? And that whole idea of of kind of building up this massive sexual conquest and fantasy, and then actually failing at it, is is quite a funny Prince thing to do, I think. Yeah, right. And he does that a lot. It's not like yeah. every single song is where Prince comes across as like this super stud that always gets the women and never fails at love and and is is infallible in that way. That's not that's not the the person he presents in these songs but a song like erotic city does because of its graphic depictions and its explicit language it gives prince's detractors a lot of ammunition against him to say like oh well he's just sex obsessed it, it, well of course and every prince song does that for people who don't like him but actually like <laughs> with every prince song there is this sure. There's a sense of irony, and uh, I, I think one pe- thing people don't get about Prince is that he was just had this amazing sense of humor, yeah. And like like we say in Britain, he's taking the piss, yeah. He's not taking himself seriously. He he is mocking himself. He's mocking masculinity. He's mocking sexuality, and pretty much every song he does, it, it's not about him gallivanting around as this sexual kind of conquistadore <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's it, you know he is mocking the whole idea of masculine sexuality i think and that's one of the reasons that he is he's on a different plane to most artists he's that, that's what sets him apart from someone like rick james for example yeah one of the things i wanted to bring up about the course that i missed before is the mention of the dawn so mm-hmm. we can fucking tell the dawn so we know around this time he's starting to use the phrase may you live to see the dawn may you live to see the dawn yep and so now he mentions the dawn so i don't know if there's any real connection there between the use of the word dawn here because the dawn became its own thing later on in his career like the mid to late 90s after he got out of his contract with warner brothers right finally finally see the dawn there and so, like, the, the whole Dawn theme has been a part of the you know, Prince lore from the Purple Rain era until, until the late 90s. And I think the use of the word Dawn here, I don't know, it's just kind of intriguing to me. I, I don't know if you can read, if one can read too much into it to think, like, he's referring to the Dawn. And, and, and I put that in, like, air quotes or in capital letters, the Dawn. Or if it's just literally, like, until the morning comes. Like, that's all it is. I don't know. That's a really good point, actually, Jason. Um, I, I think it, the dawn is a reference to the dawn, as defined by Prince. And like you say, when it was at its most poignant, it was probably around the kind of Purple Rain era. Yeah, 
uh, or, or even 1999, there were allusions to that whole idea of what what is the dawn? Is it the apocalypse? Is it this new beginning? Yeah. Either way, it, it is this kind of there's some kind of reckoning, some kind of rapture that's happening here, and um, it is it is the goal. I think, like you quite rightly say, is is set down in Prince folklore and myth, and it is some kind of symbolic. It's either a symbolic ending or a symbolic beginning. I have no idea, but I think he's, you know, it, it's it's definitely a care, carefully crafted reference to the dawn as as defined by Prince, as opposed to simply early morning. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I just, I sometimes I think like I overthink lyrics sometimes. But with that said, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it was an accident that Prince would put. Yeah something like the dawn in a chorus during this era when he's already you know starting to use that phrase putting it on liner notes putting it at the end of credits i just don't think it was an accident i don't think that it was just oh it sounds good making love until the dawn or we can fuck until the dawn so i don't think that it was an accident i do agree that it's probably just in line with the the kind of new beginning or end of the world because we at this point I think he was still trying to like figure that out. What does the dawn mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe he was still trying to figure it out for himself because he was really apocalyptic, obsessed, I guess, for lack of a better word, during this time. And while the religion right. and spirituality was coming forth more in his music, you don't know necessarily based off of the clues we're given if he's really referring to the dawn as a new beginning or or an ending or both maybe the ending brings a new beginning and so we're just kind right. of scratching yeah. our heads about that but i don't yeah, think it there, was there was this, i think at this time there's that whole you know with like 1999 is a really good example of this which is all about kind of partying in just before the apocalypse and then you have these there's that whole idea about the dawn there's you know god is love evolsy dog etc etc there's this kind of his spirituality is coming together and there's a worldview that is probably best represented in maybe love sexy but but it takes a few years to form and there is this idea about the end of the world about this 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 greater purpose about partying about the conflict between spirituality and sex and and all of those are kind of very subtly re represented in erotic city i think I do. I do agree with that. And I do really kind of feel like the more I talk, as we talk through this, the more I kind of feel like this is a song that's using like a garden of hedonism type um, approach towards looking at the end of times again. You just kind of get a feel yeah. of this, this feel of finality to what is being sung. Like they're, they're running out of time. They can't make babies because there's no time to, to have you know, to see a, a pregnancy through term. So it's really just about making some time, having some fun, fucking until the dawn. And the erotic city is like this stand-in for this this party, this, like I said, garden of hedonism. Um, this, this massive just like letting our inhibitions go so we can have fun. And that's why that third verse, he feels like it's a real bummer, man, that you just you weren't able to let your inhibitions go because now is the time to do that. We're, we don't have the time anymore to really kind of hang on to our to our insecurities. 
I, I completely agree with that, Jason. And and actually, this is like this. It's like an evil brother to 1999 in terms of the message. Yeah, it's because it's really, really all about just sex and right. Um, you know, really diving into that that hedonistic approach towards the end of times. Like, oh well, I'm not going to just party. I'm going to you know spend my last moments on this earth fucking basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, running out of time. Let's do it. And speaking of that, I think that brings us pretty much to the end of the, the, the lyrics proper. It just kind of repeats, doesn't it? And then, then, then fades away. He doesn't do anything different with the choruses at any point. He and Sheila, they, they sing them pretty much the same way, the same lines. Um, and they're sung quite a few more times before the song ends. But, um, yeah, there's no new lyrics, so there's really no point in repeating no. discussions about the chorus again. So, Found the fundamental oh. kind of essence of this song, haven't we? Just by talking it through. I feel like we did. And, and I find that that happens more often than not. Like... I'll do my due diligence and do research and jot down notes about the song's lyrics and how we talk about it, what I want to say. But at the end of the day, until I start getting on here with with my guest and we start talking through it, I think new stuff always kind of pops into my head as we're discussing that I don't right. even consider. So it's almost like I need that uh, I need that time to talk through it. I need that person to bounce it off of ideas off of in order to really come to what I feel like is my conclusion. And I always try to preface that this is my conclusion. This does not mean that this is what the song is about. It doesn't mean that that is sure. the, the, the definitive answer as to what the song is about. No one knows that except for the man who wrote it. And we all also kind of can agree sometimes meanings to songs can take different, different lives over the course of a person's career. Like, Erotic City might have meant something different to Prince in 1984 than it did to maybe a more religious Prince in 2001. Um, who knows? But that's a really good point, actually. I mean, I, I think you know, you look back at Prince in you know 2014, for example, mm -hmm. and he probably would never not even think about playing Erotic City as a track. Can't imagine. I <laughs> just can't imagine the. The, the 2000s. Yeah. Or, or, or he'd, he'd, um, it's like, you know, um, you've probably seen this, but you know that kind of live version of sexuality where he changed it to spirituality? Yeah. Uh, yes. uh, I mean, you just can't do that with Erotic City. It, it is what it is. It, it, it does what it says on the tin. Okay. Um, but it, it's, it's symbolic and emblematic of a particular stage of Prince's development and his psyche and actually from a musical perspective it is all about that kind of slightly cold synth funk that he was he was like mastering at the time and it's it, it's an absolute masterpiece but it's not something he'd do in 2014 right no not in its entirety I think what my understanding is what he would play this song later in his career it would always be like it's just snippets of it small pieces of it yeah that would be part of like an interpolation with another song or something like that so like he i think he always probably loved this groove and loved 
how the song sounded. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, so when when he played live in a very small club in Manchester in, I think it was 2014? 2014, yeah. And he did this segment where he was on the keyboard and he went through stuff like When Doves Cry, Forever in My Life, etc., etc. He used the riff from Erotic City to connect those songs. That sounds right because that's just what he was doing with a lot of his older songs. He liked to yeah. give, he liked to give the audience a little taste of some of the old classics in a new way. Not that he was going to do a whole six-minute jam of Erotic City with all the lyrics from front to back, um, but but he didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't. He didn't. Um, okay, so any final thoughts on Erotic City, Farouk? Do you think um, we covered it? Just, just in summary, I mean, I think we're on the same page here. I, I think it is one of the best examples of Prince doing synth funk. It's one of the songs that even my friends who don't, who aren't necessarily Prince fans, when they hear it, they're surprised that it's a Prince song. It's a song that certainly, you know, I've lived in primarily Manchester in London in my life, and I've heard this track in a club that is by no means on a club night that is advertised as a Prince night. It drives people crazy. I love the kind of cold, minimalist syncopation of the beats. Like we've said, the lyrics aren't, you know, um, it's not like uh, The Ladder or something really profound like that. But actually, particularly the second verse, it just works. I think as part of Prince's manifesto in the early 80s, just prior to him becoming the biggest rock star in the world, where he was showing off, he was just literally showing off, right? Yeah. He's doing Time albums. He was doing all the other side projects. He'd done 1999. He was about to unleash Purple Rain. Yeah, this is like, this is part of that whole campaign. This is a statement of intent. And it shows that he could do P-Funk better than better than George Clinton or Parliament and Funkadelic or any of those guys. It showed that he could do funk better than Rick James. It, this is the world's most confident artist about to take over the world. And this is a really important part of that agenda, I would say. I would agree with that. That was well said. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, this has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. I wanted to thank again Farouk Ansari for joining me on this episode. Thanks, Farouk. Uh, absolute pleasure, Jason. Hopefully we get to speak again. It's always a pleasure to talk, Farouk. And you can reach me at uh, Press Rewind 75, Twitter and Instagram. I also have a Press Rewind Facebook page. You can find me there. Message me. I would love to uh, hear from anybody who has any different interpretations of this song or maybe something else that you know they wanted to, to say about it, something we might have missed or maybe have a different opinion on. It's all good. That's what it's all about. And um, if you listen to this podcast on uh, Apple Podcast, iTunes, I would love it if you guys could give it a rating. And if you enjoy it, write a review. It's uh, always helpful and to get the word out. And it's uh, always appreciated for all of my listeners that let me know that they like what we're doing here. So thank you again. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.